This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and it is pouring rain outside. There's a huge thunderstorm, so you may hear some lightning and thunder on this episode. When I began self-work, I wanted to reach the people who were quite comfortable with psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you were even in therapy. I also wanted to reach out to those of you who've been initially diagnosed with depression or anxiety and you're looking for answers. But there's a third group. Those of you who might never darken the door of a therapist or don't think you would, but are just curious enough to listen to self-work. So welcome to you all. We have a new sponsor, BetterHelp, which is an online therapeutic platform with many therapists available to you, and there's a special offer for just these next few weeks. I'll get to that in just a minute. There's certainly a worldwide recognition that we can never be grateful enough these days for the things we may have taken for granted, and there are many who are facing this current unprecedented stress with that kind of gratitude. Others are struggling more. So how is it that some seem more resilient than others? What are the four most common responses to stress? We'll define trauma and the three major things that put resilience to the test. And we'll even talk about the real definition of resilience. It may not be what you think. So we're going to go over 10 things that I came up with, with some help from some articles, which I will obviously note. Things that help you stay resilient. Some of them may surprise you, some not. And lastly, we'll briefly go over learning how to maintain focus. Our listener email for today is from someone who is offering support for some of the changes here at SelfWork and letting me know. Thanks to many of you who've done the same. So now, let's talk about trauma and resilience. You know, trauma is a word that many people shy away from, as if calling something traumatic infers that you're weak or frail, that you'll be defined as a victim. So what is the definition of trauma? It's actually an event or an experience that has happened to you that is far outside normal in experience and is frightening or terrifying or extremely emotionally painful. Certainly, COVID-19 and its emergence worldwide is traumatic. In fact, how do the stressful characteristics of war line up with what we're going through right now? I read an article in Psychology Today by Dr. Michael Matthews, which will be in the show notes, and he named three characteristics of war that challenge resilience. What are they? Unpredictability, intensity, and unknown duration. That's definitely where all of us are now. And so in a way, the fact that it feels like we're in a war is normal. We all like to think we'd know how we'd act in a war. We imagine ourselves as the hero or heroine racing in to save someone or coming up with a perfect answer to a problem or being able to soothe the conflict or pain that people we love are experiencing. But first, we all don't react that way. And second, so much of our response to stress and trauma depends on two things, the severity of the stress itself and its intensity, and also if there were mental health issues before the trauma that could be a problem. We found this out from soldiers, some of whom develop PTSD and more, and some who do not. And those were the two factors that were most important. 
Actually, there are four responses to adversity or trauma that I found, again, using military research that I thought was fascinating as far as any kind of stressful situation that we may come across, especially, though, a traumatic one, a fire or tornado, a shooting, whatever, not just COVID-19. And there are four responses. One is the development of pathology or basically mental illness, invulnerability, resilience, and personal growth. We're going to briefly go over the first two. Let's talk about pathology, symptomatology. Actually, research shows that 15% of people are likely to develop mental and emotional issues as a result of trauma. And actually, these symptoms might be quite new to them. They can develop substance abuse, depression, suicidal thinking, anxiety, certainly, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, where there are flashbacks and nightmares. You can have hypervigilance and arousal, often becoming more isolated and irritable. Your emotions can either be very erratic, but you can also feel very flat, like nothing matters. But again, this is 15% of people. You know, as a therapist, I always look for what is relatively stable in someone's life when they come in for treatment. Maybe they're physically in really good shape, but emotionally not so, or the other way around. Or they're going gangbusters professionally, but struggling spiritually. I hope for at least one area that's stable. And yet, sometimes almost every aspect of someone's life is affected by whatever they're facing. And that makes it more difficult to heal or even think rationally. You're trying to balance on a stool that's missing one or two of its legs. So trying to get one of those legs back functioning again is vital. That can involve diverse kinds of work, medication, exercise, meditation, mindfulness, social connection, so many things, even therapy. Of course, the fact that 15% of people may actually develop mental illness or have mental illness reemerge because of trauma is a large number when you think about the numbers of people being affected by this pandemic. And so many of us don't want to think that we can become demoralized or depressed or wake up panicking. So what can be so important is acceptance. You can accept that that's what your response is. It may not be the one you want it to be, but that's what it is. And certainly if you have a loved one that's going through something like that, you can accept that in them and help them learn how to manage it. Help them get help. So let's briefly talk about the invulnerable response. Most of you know I've just published a book entitled Perfectly Hidden Depression, where a perfect looking life can cloak true clinical depression. So this response, the invulnerability response, scares me more than a little. This is someone who seems that nothing is getting through to them. They have no emotions about what's going on. They're soldiering on. Maybe they believe or were taught that you never show fear or admit emotional difficulties. But the research on perfectionism shows that this kind of self-expectation to suppress pain or deny it altogether can lead to a very dark, invisible, silent depression. That response, a response of no response, can be taught and modeled or insisted upon in a family or certainly in certain professions. Our frontline workers and responders are trained to run toward an emergency, not away from it. And it does take courage. But for most of us who do not have that kind of training, we're muddling along. And I like to think about an old African proverb that basically says, the tree that will bend in a storm survives whereas another tree will break if bending isn't allowed. So this response, perhaps needed for many, needed for those of you who might be on the front lines, is understandable. But most of us, 
It will be better if we bend. In fact, I think truly even the frontline workers need to bend. What's next are 10 ideas about what resilience actually looks like. What are you doing and thinking and saying when you're resilient? But first, there's a message about a special offer from our new sponsor, BetterHelp. I was delighted when BetterHelp reached out to me as a potential sponsor. What exactly is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not really self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. I also tried this out, of course, for my self-work listeners, and I was very impressed with the two counselors I tried. There's a broad range of expertise, and you're actually matched to the therapist that they believe will work best for you. You can have video sessions, phone sessions. You can text. And actually, it's much less expensive than, quote-unquote, normal therapy. And BetterHelp is rated number one by so many platforms that specialize in trying to help you find the best therapy online for you. There's a special offer for self-work listeners where you get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's trybetterhelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash self-work. You can begin getting help today, and I highly recommend it. So give it a try. Now, let's talk about resilience. This response is one I think that many will turn toward. What is resilience? It's when your ability to handle things was compromised. Maybe you even got derailed. Maybe you threw yourself into a project, then lost interest, and you've just been overwhelmed with potential loss. Fear or anger or sadness might have seemed like it would never end, but you're beginning to come back. Look for the positives. Your attitude is something you can control, and that's being resilient. It doesn't mean being invulnerable. That's a quite different response. Resilience is you may lose it a little bit, but then you find yourself and you go on. So what are very concrete and tangible signs that are reflection of resilience? Here are 10 of those things in a nutshell. First, don't focus on what is no longer. That'll keep you focused on what was and not what is. There's a huge difference between the need to grieve and getting stuck in grief. My little goddaughter years ago, when she was asked if she was excited about turning five, she looked at her parent and said, I loved being four. (laughs) So we can always focus on what was instead of focusing on what exists in the present. The second one fits in with that thought. Don't idealize the past. Actually think about some things that you didn't like, that didn't work so well, that could be better. If your business could be better, what would have to happen and what are the steps to get there? If your home life isn't what you wanted it to be, how can you get there? The third, surround yourself with people who are supportive and are looking for what can be done and build a support system of these people. See how you might help one another. It's amazing how people can be so creative when they get together and have a problem, especially a mutual problem. You've heard me say before, we all have our little bit of wisdom. I think we all have our little bit of creativity, too. And so if you surround yourself with people who are looking for what they can do, then you'll be motivated as well. This fourth one is something that I really believe in. You have to recognize what skills you already possess to handle crises and difficulty. Basically, this isn't your first rodeo. None of us have faced a pandemic, don't get me wrong. But you've faced other things that have been very, very difficult. 
What did you learn facing that? And what can you share with other people that you learned there? The fifth one is be appropriately honest with yourself, friends, and family. Don't try to paint the picture any more rosy than it is. In fact, model for your family that it's okay to talk about grief or fear or anger. Your children are going to be watching you. They're going to be watching how you handle this. Of course, you don't want to overshare with younger kids. So there's a balance that's important to create. The sixth, I love this one, celebrate the heck out of small positive things. Don't just say, well, that doesn't really matter. If it was positive, celebrate it. Every small positive thing will lead to the next. Or even if you have something happen that's disappointing, you'll have enjoyed the moment. You've celebrated the moment. And so you'll have more fortitude, more resolve to get through the next painful one. Number seven is if anxious and worried, keep a worry journal and write in it every day. A worry journal is simply a journal where you literally take 10 minutes and write down everything that you're worried about. And then you do it the same day at the same time in the same journal and over and over and over again. What you're wanting to do is honor your worry while at the same time corralling it so it doesn't just seep into every part of your day. Number eight is making sure that you're talking about both short-range and long-range goals. You want to write those out. For long-range goals, what are the steps to get there and what is their order that will really help you? What's the most important thing to do first and second and third? And those are your short-range goals. And remember, every short-range goal reached is to be celebrated. So you want to stay in the present and focus on those short-range goals, but you also want to have a sense of direction. That direction may change, but it will help you determine what is the most important thing to do now. Number nine, this one's a hard one for many, self-care. You may be asking yourself, how can I take time off for a walk or to make a smoothie or eat a sandwich or call a friend when I have so much to do? I promise it will help. You're showing yourself the same compassion as you do others. And number 10, laughter. It's incredibly important. We saw some turtles in the yard yesterday and we were having just an okay day. So I decided to look up on Google, what do turtles do in the winter? Well, it turns out they hibernate. I didn't know that. And it also turns out that they have this interesting way of breathing underwater. They don't use their lungs as much. They actually breathe through their butt. (laughs) I started laughing about this and so did my husband. And then we got the giggles and it added a little bit of levity to the day. And maybe I just added to yours too. It's pretty funny to think about. It was in this kind of not a scientific journal, but in some sort of very serious journal, I thought it was pretty funny. So if someone says to you that you have turtle breath, I think I would <laughs> I would be quite offended. All right. The fourth response to stress, again, the three others are developing pathology, developing an invulnerable stance, and developing resilience. So what's the fourth one? What else do we have to talk about? I love this Maya Angelou quote. She said, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. I'll say that again. I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. What astounding words. So whether you use this time for spiritual growth, to own your own ability to care for yourself and your family, and to be proud of that, 
to work harder than you've ever worked, to keep a positive outlook when it's so hard to do so, to learn to attach special meaning to things that helps you keep a sense of purpose in your life, and finally gaining an acceptance of your circumstances, not resigning yourself to them, but accepting them so you can manage those circumstances and the feelings that come with them. You don't have to quit growing. Again, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. In fact, maybe you could even be more empowered. Let's take just another moment, however, to talk about focus. Focus can actually be tricky, and especially at times of stress, then focus can seem near and high impossible. In fact, many say to me, I don't know how to control my mind. It just jumps from one thing to another. My mind does what it wants to do is something I also hear a lot. And yet focus can be so important. Most of us do have what meditation experts call monkey mind. Our minds travel quickly from thought to thought, idea to idea, emotion to emotion. But you control your mind and your focus actually all the time. How often is it raining outside, but you don't notice because you are concentrating? How often do you suddenly realize that today's the day you got engaged or it's the birthday of a good friend? You knew what literal day it was, but the meaning of it hadn't emerged in your conscious mind until that moment. It was instead focused elsewhere. How often have you gotten in your truck and driven to a meeting or then can't quite remember driving there? Or quite the opposite, you're headed somewhere like to a meeting or a party And you actually end up going down the street to your office because you were just on automatic. You were thinking about something else. We pay attention to different parts of our mind all the time. So controlling your focus, being focused on directly what's in front of you, but also knowing where you want to go is vital. As soon as I say this to my patients, sometimes a light bulb will come on and they go, yeah, I guess I can focus my mind. I've never really thought about that. But you're right, I've had all those experiences. It's somewhat similar to the short-range, long-range discussion we had a few minutes ago. You can't think too much about the long-range when you've got the short-range in front of you. But you have to keep it in mind. But you focus on the moment. I started looking for focus quotes. And there are a whole bunch of them out there. One of my favorites was Winston Churchill's quote. This is going to make you laugh, I hope. You're not going to get where you're going if you stop and yell at every dog that barks along the way. (laughs) I thought that was pretty amusing. But this is my personal favorite. I liked it so much, I actually put it in my book. The author of the quote was talking about writing, but I believe it's true of life. Here's the quote. It's like driving a car at night. You may never see further than your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Let me say that again. It's like driving a car at night. You may never see further than your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. When I visualize that, I realize how true that is. All we have to see to keep going is to just be able to see the next few feet. Our listener email today is similar to ones that I've received in the last few weeks. And at the risk of sounding self-serving, I wanted to let you hear it, and I'm going to make a couple of points. So here's her message. Hello, Dr. Margaret. This is Jessica calling from Cleveland Heights, Ohio. I first want to say how much I appreciate your podcast. It has been incredibly helpful. I'm a big believer in maintaining one's mental health 
And I do a lot of preventative maintenance by seeing a therapist every once in a while and meditating and exercise and just good self-care. Your weekly podcasts are like another balm to my mental health. So thank you. I just wanted to respond really quickly to your last podcast in which a woman had written in um, expressing her concern about whether or not your podcast had changed as you experienced more success. And while my heart goes out to her, and I certainly can understand the fear of change, I want to say that I did not register that in your voice. In fact, I feel like you are incredibly generous with your time and your perspective. And I also think that in my experience, being a humming adult means learning how to stand on your own two emotional feet and recognizing what's yours and what's someone else's. So I hope that that offers you a little perspective on how I heard her letter. Again, keep doing what you're doing. You are a treasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. This response obviously caused me to smile, and I very much appreciated hearing from this listener, as well as others who heard me respond to an unhappy listener who was questioning my intentions or how the experience of podcasting was changing me. But I've done a lot of thinking about this, and I want to say something to all of you. I've thought a lot about this podcast, who listens, who wants to learn or be inspired, what I learn going along the way, who is questioning and seeking answers for mental illness. And I know my audience is very diverse. But I want you all to know something. I respect the fact that something I might say or infer could be unwelcome or even hurtful in some unintended way. For example, one person reached out to me a long time ago in an email and told me that I'd made it sound like my only answer to panic, my own panic, was to take a medication. Sure enough, I went back and checked, and I'd made an offhand comment as I sort of led into another section of material so I could very well understand. And I both understand this listener's response to my talking about emails, but I also understood the other. In fact, my own patients come in from time to time and tell me that something I said rubbed them the wrong way or they questioned what I meant and it did not feel good. I welcome these kinds of questions and discussion. I learn as a person and as a therapist. For me, there isn't a right or a wrong here. So I appreciate both commentaries and I will continue to welcome them as long as they're given or offered in a good spirit. So thank you to all of you for being here. I so appreciate you listening to Self Work. I look forward to producing these episodes every week. And with the help of my great audio engineer, John Crowley of Loudmouth Studio, we put together something for you every week. Many of you are here because of the topic of perfectly hidden depression. And I do have a book out on that now. It's called Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. And it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or if you want to really support your local bookstore, which might obviously be suffering a bit now, you can go in and order it from them. And it's available in ebook. I'm beginning to get lots of responses to it. Of course, I may not hear from people who don't particularly care for it, but the responses I am getting, are, especially the exercises, are very helpful because there are over 60 of them. And I did try to talk about short-range and long-range goals. I did exactly that in writing the book. Every exercise is a short-range goal, but the whole book is very long-range. 
There are plenty of ways to get in touch with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there. And what happens is, one, you get a little free ebook I wrote several years ago, but two, you also get subscribed to my newsletter, meaning that you will receive one newsletter from me every week, giving you the links to both my podcast and my weekly blog post. So it's a really easy way of keeping in touch with me. And I don't bother you, I promise. Other than that, I have a Facebook page. It's Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And I post things there that I like or read that I think are smart or even brilliant and let you know them or I think are funny, as well as my own pieces. I'm also over on Instagram, and I just this morning started a new little thing I'm going to do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Instagram. I'm calling it Morning with Dr. Margaret or Dr. M. I like morning. I actually got rained on today, and so (laughs) I did it right after that, and I look a mess, but that's okay. You're going to catch me at 9 o'clock in the morning, no matter what I look like or where I am. That's where I'm going to do it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. It'll be on Instagram Live, and I'm just going to have some fun with it. Hope you do, too. And hope you'll join me. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So thank you again for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.